Hello and welcome to this week's episode of BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Gideon Hoffman, who gives us the lowdown on two of his current occupations. The first one is Attribute 360, Gideon's improved take on providing bespoke value-for-money advertising strategies by combining digital and traditional media specific to the client's needs and outcomes. And the second is Gideon's work as a trustee at the Royal National Institute for Deaf People, where he helps with making life fully inclusive for deaf people and those with hearing loss, a condition that Gideon has lived with his whole life. Welcome to the Hoffman Effect. So um, for you listeners there, Gideon uh, suffers his hard of hearing. I mean, that's um, that's an interesting subject. We'll have to get back to that. But the, the media and data brand, the company that you're launching, explain that a little bit more. What, 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 how's that going to work? Well, one of the technology companies that I assist uh, for the last few years um, trying to find clients has some really interesting technology that solves the problem of how people that have different data sets can work together in a world where not everybody trusts each other and in a world where GDPR says you're not supposed to mix data without consent at all. And I've been in the world of media for the last decade and somebody I met along the way who's becoming one of my partners said to me, this is really interesting because the way people buy digital is often very focused on what clients actually need to do for their business. New sales, new clients, higher basket size. But when it comes to traditional advertising, they hand it over to an agency and the agency focuses on intermediate media metrics. And I'm sure you've never heard of them, but they're things like reach and frequency. Nothing to do with what people running a business really worry about, which is sales. And if we could approach the office, the traditional world in a way that digital does, perhaps that would mean people spend more on it, which is for all those publishers keen to take on Facebook and Google, including, you know, the likes of ITV, Global, and, you know, fairly big companies, they all have a problem of what do they do about Facebook and Google? Perhaps this is the answer. The, the whole point why they can't take on those people is they don't know their audiences in the same kind of way, isn't it? I mean, digital's the fact you can target you can't target out-of-home advertising. Well, out-of-home is difficult because out-of-home is intended to be a one-to-many format. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things in the pandemic is we all watch more and more streaming than linear broadcast um, because we had nothing else to do. We were at home. We got bored of Zoom calls. And in fact, under-25s now do more streaming than linear. And the one defining thing about streaming is that whichever service you use, it knows who you are. So if you watch ITV Hub, you're logged in. If you watch Channel 4, you're logged in. If you watch Netflix, you're logged in. And that means, although it's a broadcast format when it comes to the show, potentially something can be targeted at you just in the same way as on your timeline. But unlike your timeline, which you probably zone through to try and help relax and get to sleep, you've probably chosen to watch the content that you want to watch on ITV or Channel 4 or Netflix. So therefore, it's a pretty good place to advertise if actually you've got the right message and you're got the right audience and people accept advertising within the content so why where where do you step in surely this will be just a change that naturally occurs that people start using traditional tv tv advertising's back is what you're telling me you know it'll, it'll come back as a way to target audiences and and be much more specific like i'm aware of um what is it sky have that thing that you can target specific households and show specific ad smart yeah ad smart yeah 
So is that where do you, where does your new venture step into that? One of the interesting things, anyone that's worked with technology will be aware of this, is just because technology's been invented doesn't mean that people actually use it. It doesn't mean that it's adopted <laughs> to the extent that people should adopt it. And my so, brother is currently looking at me now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just funny for both of it. It's, it's the sort of thing no one says, but it's fucking true. You know, loads of it is pointless. So, so what's happened is lots of publishers have, just, have put their faith in what's a category known as clean room technology, which allows people to target without handing over their data um, and without any risk to the data, which all brands will care about in the GDPR world. And... They've waited for, you know, the adoption of something that should help them become more competitive with the giants that we won't keep mentioning. And most advertising is still bought roughly like it was last year. Well, most traditional advertising yeah. rather than digital. Okay, I've, well, I, I want to sell cars, so I just buy up a load of fucking advertising everywhere and show them pictures of my sexy car with a sexy woman. Well, normally, normally, you know, the way, the way advertising works is normally you think, who is my audience? Who do I want to reach? Is it people with children? Is it people with too much money on their hands and don't know what to do? So you come up with an idea of your target customer, but normally you then got two problems. One is you've got to design something to appeal to the target customer. The other is you have to reach them. And normally you go to two types of specialists. You go to a creative agency to say, make me a really cool ad that will get the attention of this person. And having made the ad, which could be print, it could be television, it could be radio, you then go to someone else to say, okay, I'm willing to spend this much on advertising, what should I do? And, and it's something that, you know, you do need some expertise to work out what's the most cost-effective way to engage and reach an audience, what's the appropriate context, you know, because not everybody wants to advertise on um, advertising in toilets, not everybody wants to advertise in controversial drama or, or sport, and the costs vary widely. So normally you employ an expert to do that. And, and normally the plans will be done with people, and normally the plans will be very similar to the ones they did last year or the year before because you can't really go wrong if you give your money to major media owners in the same proportion every year. People expect it, most clients will expect that, and they focus on the creative typically. And, and it's only when someone challenges it and says, well, is that really good value for money? Maybe we should give Facebook even more money or maybe we should put all of it into digital. Only then do you start asking the questions of, Maybe I should look at that. And that's why if you look at the revenues of some of traditional media companies, they're under, they're under a lot of challenge. And the solution you're proposing, therefore, is a new platform to, what, manage that, that whole process, is it? You know, what, what's the, is that where you're going with it? Or? Well, the one thing is, 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 one thing we want to do is partly about a different focus, because focus matters a lot in life. Yeah. If you, if you focus on something, you're far more likely to achieve what you're aiming at. So we want to remorselessly focus on outcomes. Hence, we've nailed the name of the company, Attribute360, to be like, this is what we're doing. We're focusing on outcomes. Right. Stop focusing on input. Yeah. So, so firstly, focus on the outcome. And secondly, we're relying all the technology and data to then deliver whatever the client's outcomes is. Oh. Okay. Letting it effectively reverse engineering it. 
working backwards. Is that not what people try and do? Not so much. I guess it's what you laid out. You go through a sort of linear process as opposed to saying you want to you want to talk. It depends talk. on the client. Some clients are more demanding. Okay. And and want to see more data that proves something works. Yeah. Than others. Others expect they're going to spend 20 million a year on television. They will occasionally change who buys it for them. And as long as they can check the price with their auditor was was reasonable, they won't spend too much time worrying about the detail. When are you hoping to launch this, or is it launched already? We are finalising our collateral before we go to market, but effectively within weeks. Okay, so if you're listening to this, it was launched three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I kind of want to understand it more, I guess, but um, let's let's wait for the launch, I guess. It's sort of, what would be your ideal customer, maybe? I think the ideal customer is a customer that's largely grown through digital and they become comfortable with what digital can do for them. They know what the cost of acquisition is. They know yeah. how it works. But there normally comes a point where um, you can't really scale your business without more traditional media. And that's really the ideal client is one that's only up to now spent on digital, but they know what they expect media to achieve. And they would like to see the same approach for television, radio, and potentially other media. Okay, that's good to understand. You do a lot of different things, to be honest. I mean... Uh... What do you do for for the deaf charity? Um, RNID is quite an old charity. Um, I have a lifelong hearing loss, as does my mother and my son. So I've always taken an interest in what can we do to help people deal with the challenges. If you live long enough, you probably will develop some sort of hearing loss. It's, it becomes more than half of the age group, some point in the fifth, people's 50s. So I've long been a member of RNID, but I always thought it was quite interesting that it didn't really answer many of the challenges that I faced as I went through my career and and encountered some of the challenges in the workplace and in the pub that I had. And effectively, what's happened in the last few years is it's been on a journey from having very disparate activities, some of which didn't help a great number of people, but helped them a lot. So it it operated about 15 care homes, um, for example. And is starting to focus on how do we help the audience of 12 million people with hearing loss. And that means almost every family or almost every workplace will have somebody who finds it difficult to hear. And therefore, I think one of the main audiences for the charity is not necessarily the people with hearing loss, but it's their friends and their family who want to include the other person. It's their colleagues and bosses and and co-workers who want to help that person hear more of what they're saying. Um, So I think it's been on the journey. I think we were talking a bit earlier about um, the fact that we've launched um, a hearing test that anybody listening to this can pause the podcast go to the RNID website and in three minutes check their hearing. I really do encourage people to do this maybe once a year because it's something that if you live long enough, you will start to have a hearing loss. And therefore, rather than wait 10 years, which is pretty typical before people actually do anything, you can 
find out what you need to do to be more included and therefore keep doing the things you like? I think, um, I don't know if this is a common perception, but giving hearing aids young, a hearing aid is effectively amplifying sounds. Effectively, someone that's worn hearing aids, I've worn them from the age of seven. Um, effectively, they are something that makes things louder. Yeah. And these days, they are effectively um, devices with a small computer in them to, in real time, process the sound it hears, adjust it to what you should hear, and both amplify, but also amplify the bits you can't hear. Because I hear bass sounds much better than yeah, yeah. high-frequency sounds. Yeah. And the old hearing aids made everything louder. Yeah. Whereas when I first got digital hearing aids, I had four channels. Now it's 32 channels. So suddenly the sound had a very different pattern. And actually, I had an experience that this would give you a laugh, that only people that switch from analog to digital have. Because at the time I worked at the Treasury and I went off to the hospital, I got my new um, digital hearing aids. And they give you a little booklet to say, things are going to sound a bit different now. So be careful for the next few days and weeks while you get used to your sound. And, you know, I changed my glasses all the time. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's like changing glasses, surely. Yeah, exactly. Like changing glasses. So I went back to the office sat down at my desk, and then suddenly I hear this baby, like, literally spluttering and, and, and so forth. And it was the printer behind me, you know, suddenly didn't know printers were noisy because it's quite a high-frequency thing. And then my, my boss sitting opposite the room, like, it was a demon typer. Yeah, again, wow. I, I'd never really noticed that before. But one, one of the absolute funniest things is I then went to a fairly serious meeting because, um, you know, working on a fairly thorny issue of public policy at the time. And it was as if, in your favourite show, they had fired all the actors and had voiceovers with children. Because the amount of extra treble that I got compared with normal was, was you know, something extraordinary. So obviously my own voice sounded different, but people that I knew that spoke in a very gruff voice would suddenly be like, so what should we do about this? <laughs> <laughs> After about 10 seconds, I was in hysterics because literally it was like big grown men that were very serious people, <laughs> very grave matters, were speaking like they were about six years old. And 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 literally it took a lot of explaining, you know, because it, it was, it was not an appropriate moment to... Um, burst out in laughter. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ulrich Clark got its start back in 1935 and while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Aubrey Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Aubrey Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. 
But Gideon, you must have gone through a journey on your deafness, though, that surely technology now, you would say it is incredible, has helped you no end? Yeah, no, I think we're now at a point where um, I think my son benefits from a lot of this technology. I don't think he's ever going to feel disabled because essentially sometimes he has superpowers in terms of he can hear the teacher better than the people around him because the teacher's wearing a little microphone like this and therefore streams directly to his ears. So for um, our listeners, you've, you've just picked up something that's sitting on our table. W- what is that? Well, this is a, a little microphone that when I meet Andy, I pin it on him in a noisy environment and it can isolate whoever's voice is pointed at and it streams it directly to my hearing aids. And when I'm in a restaurant, what it means is not only can I just hear the person that I'm sitting down with, it means I don't hear the restaurant. It's quite funny when... I want one. (laughs) It's quite funny when you go to the toilet or go to the bar, you know, and you have a bit of a chat with someone and you get back and say, oh, I just met this person. And Gideon's like, I know. And you're like, oh, right, yes, you do. And I did describe you quite badly, didn't I? You know, Uh, you know. So, I mean, the hearing aids are obviously very helpful. The hearing aid technology has moved along a lot. I mean, what else, what else do you find useful? One of the interesting things in the pandemic was that people would often comment to me how terrible it must be that I could no longer meet people in person. And it's true, probably historically I had a preference to meet people in person because I didn't hear very well on the phone and had interesting experience we were talking about with bones for the whole gambling exercise. But one thing that that a lot of people don't realise is that most of these online video platforms now have auto-captions. And it's a hell of a lot easier to follow a conversation when in real time it's being transcribed and the words are appearing on the screen. I didn't know you saw them in the screen at the same time, do you? Oh, amazing. So on those Zoom sessions when you have the the, the note-taker, is it? Sure. So so Zoom have introduced the ability to have everything you say captioned in real time. Yeah, okay. And it's not just people with a hearing loss that benefit from this. When my little seven-year-old comes to interrupt me, it's really useful to turn off the sound for a minute or two. But other people keep talking. I can keep following the thread of conversation. Yeah, wow. But hang on, on Zoom, I get the transcribe, but that happens afterwards. How do you get it to do it in real time? But that's, that's one of the reasons it's worth discussing because just like we were talking about, but not all technology is adopted to the full extent. Yeah. Zoom and Microsoft in particular have done something really quite useful. They've enabled all conversations on their platforms to be captioned in real time. Yeah. But the person that organises the meeting has to turn them on. Okay. So transcribing on the screen, is it? Sort you of- have to turn on the capability for other people to then be able to turn on, if they wish, the ability to have auto-captioning. So it's in the settings when you set up. Yeah, now Google, on the other hand, in Meet, anybody can turn them on. Okay. It's built into the Google Meet platform. So I really like Google Meet because I don't have to do anything. Okay, that's interesting why you like Google Meet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But as you know, I work with a bunch of different businesses. Some of them like Teams, some of them like Zoom, some of them like Google, some of them, God help us, like GoToMeeting or WebEx or some of the other platforms. Yeah, or Skype. Whatever happened to Skype? Skype, I rather like Skype. Microsoft have got captions for that, but but it doesn't really work for more than a one-to-one 
yeah, yeah. Conversation. But I think if you are organizing a Zoom meeting or you are organizing a team meeting, you should make sure you know how to enable captions. And then you should just do it all the time. You never know when someone will need it in a meeting because they can't hear you very well or they have children that might interrupt them or God help them, they've got a partner that's interrupting them. Okay, so yeah. Okay, on the RNID uh, website, there are there's some guides about how to get transcribers working everywhere. Yeah, so if you're organizing meetings, go to the RNID website and you'll find pages for Teams, Zoom and Google Meet, but there's less to do there on how to enable captions for your meetings. And it's it's live, real time, they can do it. It's live, real time. I Don't recommend that everybody it. tries it. It's really incredible what technology can now do. I um, listened to subtitles after living with a foreign friend um, who is learning English, and I've never stopped since. In fact, I... I get scared of turn. I don't. I. I'm. I'm pretty sure I can't follow it anymore if I turn them off. Like, it's like I can't I'm believe no I used to not have them on. You know. But I have them on because half the time I can't understand what they're saying or what accents, or I miss half the conversation. Yeah. You miss an important word. Yes. And it's worth thinking about because we now live in a world where um, speech-to-text technology has huge investments, you know, mostly driven by things like Alexa in your home or Siri and, and so forth. But effectively, all content should have captions. You know, most people, when they're looking at videos online on their phone, they may not always hear the sound. So if you put out a video without captions, then it's not just people like me that won't hear them. It's probably many of your customers. And I mean, there's, 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 there's two aspects, which is one, if you've got captions, you can then talk to people in foreign languages, I guess. And the second thing I wonder is whether misunderstandings reduce in meetings. So everyone comes out of a meeting and they all have very different memories of what was agreed or not. I mean, it's hilarious sometimes. No, it happens to in our partnership all the time. No, but we agreed to do it. Oh no, I thought we disagreed to do it. And it was like, no, no, we were all there. You were all agreed, didn't we? You know, well, I use a technology called Fireflies that is a robot that comes to all of my online meetings. It records all of my online meetings. And, and live. I, I ask for consent to do that, obviously. And then within about five minutes, it creates a transcript of the conversation. And then that sits in my notebook. And it's really useful because six months afterwards, you think, who was it that told me this? And because I put them all into OneNote, Microsoft indexing capabilities is awesome. I can find really quickly. And you know how embarrassing it is that you have a one-hour call well, 50 minutes. And in the last few minutes, you all agree who does what. And then five days later, you think, I know I promised to do something. Yeah. All and, and the time. I, can't, I know that in two days' time, I'm going to have to turn up to a meeting and, and say I've done it. I don't want to make a lame excuse, but what was it? Yeah. What was it? What was I, who was I going to introduce them? I don't know. So what's brilliant is I can go and listen to the meeting again and look at the transcript just for the last five minutes. And they'll never know that I had to do that. You're like, I didn't agree to anything, but you know. But the one thing I would say is that effectively, if you have something like a hearing loss, you still need to make it work in a world not designed for you. And the one thing that, that always amuses me is I got into a habit in noisy receptions of basically swapping business cards because it's impossible to have a conversation when there were 200 oh, people. Oh, so you just go out and give them a card, talking. get a card. So I would say who I was, say something very interesting, agree with me some other time and swap cards. In an age when people actually carried business cards. Yeah. And what was funny was that I did not appreciate then that actually other people couldn't really hear very well either. 
So essentially, yeah. I became really good at working the room and going around. I was going to say, that sounds the 30 best. or 40 people, because I'd always be moving on before they found out I had no idea who they were, I had no idea what to talk about. And effectively, that's really useful if you're in a reception where you don't know anyone and you're not really sure who's there to meet, to not be afraid of walking around the room and, 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 and just doing that. It's really funny now, I can actually hear other people with, if they hear my question, I can hear perfectly their answer. So I still, I still sometimes, you know, find reasons to move on quickly. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you really do, pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, you really don't want to spend your whole evening talking to the first person you spoke to. I'm definitely going to adopt your approach of networking events. Going in, give me a card. <laughs> well, you obviously went, oh, hi, I'm Gideon. And tell an anecdote, do you? Tell a story or something. And then say... Oh, tell a funny story. Tell a funny story. And then you say, oh, here's my card. And they, they naturally give you your card. And then you go... Fuck you, I'm off. <laughs> so, so Gideon, you said you were born with hearing issues. You didn't get hearing aids till you were seven. You went to mainstream school. It took from zero to seven for your hearing to be picked up. No, 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 it was picked up earlier. Right. I had speech therapy when I was a, a young boy because it became very clear as I spoke that I didn't hear certain words the same. So it wasn't undiagnosed, but at that time it was not normal to give hearing aids to very young children. Why? Well, I think the world has reached a greater understanding of the impact of doing that. Okay. I think one reason they started to test babies at age two, three days old is that they realised that if a child is behind age five or six, they never catch up. But you clearly hence, have. Sorry? You have. Did it help because you said your well, your dad was uh, deaf, was he? Is it your dad is deaf? My mother. Your mother. So did that help? I, she knew how to help you? Because what we're trying to work out is zero to seven. Zero to seven, how did Gideon survive? He's got no hearing aids. He's struggling to hear. I think, no. I think, you know, most schools are trying to be supportive of children. I think it probably helped that um, in my early school years, I showed signs of talent. Because one of the things is people often um, discount disabled people and expect less from them. Right. And hence... But you're a smart motherfucker. <laughs> so I, I think it is helpful not to start compromising because somebody can't hear or can't walk. What or... subjects were you good at out of interest? What's your? What were you good at at school? What subjects? I was pretty good at maths. Okay. I can see this. I yeah. can see um, this. I was, I was um, and again, surprised for hearing, but I was pretty good at music. Oh, interesting. So, so I know you're a music I, fan. As, as a child, I learned recorder and then went on to brass instruments and, and so forth. And I think, you know, it is interesting because one of the things... What brass instrument did you play? Did you play the trumpet? I played um, tenor horn initially tenor. and then euphonium. Euphon what the fuck is a euphonium? Blimey! Everyone look up what a euphonium looks like. I, I vaguely remember the word. Is that like... Because if you like bass sounds, surely you go for the bassier instruments, do you? Do you like... The, you like bass sounds, you can hear them better. Um, euphonium. I, I think, honestly... Um, I wouldn't say that. I did realise now, having had my hearing age change very dramatically at the age of 30, that my life was lived in megabase. And hence, you know, who knows what that meant for what sound and music and instruments I liked. 
But, but nevertheless, I think it was because, you know, I had the lungs to blow such a big, big instrument. It's a big, it's a big one, folks. A euphonium is a big one, not as big as some of them. What's, what's the one, the tuba? Who chooses to play a tuba? That's the crazy one. You're, you're such a survivor. Like you, most people, I didn't know Gideon was deaf for ages. I mean, we were on Zooms for months. I had no idea, you know. So, and in, 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 in a couple of situations suddenly made sense. There was a time when you were eating uh, crisps in this Zoom. <laughs> I got the giggles. <laughs> I was like, and that's when I decided I really liked you, by the way, because I was like, who's this crazy bastard in this meeting? And you, and, and you, and you, see, and you don't give a fuck. Like, and that's what I like about you. But you were these questions we couldn't really have the meeting and I was just like it was just yeah now I know you were deaf it all made sense but I just thought you were like fuck them I'm having a pack of crisps they can talk over me <laughs> so that was this week's episode of BWB Extra thank you to Gideon for joining us a big thank you to you dear listener and we'll be back with a new episode next week in the meantime please rate and review us on Apple Follow us on Spotify and find us on socials at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye.